Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Thank you, Pastor Miles. Come on, take your seats. For a second there, I thought he was going to say pizza pocket. And I was like, yes, that is me. (laughs) I love pizza so much. Anyway, um, it is so great to be able to join you for our second week of our series, More Than Words. Come on, do you know the song More Than Words by the band Extreme? Okay, I heard a few, yeah, see a few hands. Thank you, love that song. It is their only hit, that band. And it's so different from the rest of their music. It is so different. So if you're like, oh my gosh, I love this song. I want to see what else this band has. Prepare to be like, hmm, okay. Anyway, so um, it is a pleasure to join you online, our online crew. Put in the comments how you're feeling, what you're drinking, coffee, tea, milk, just a cup of skim milk. Why not? It's Sunday. (laughs) But anyway, let me jump into my message. Just going to get straight into it. So last week, uh, Ben kicked us off with a, an incredible teaching on worshipping in spirit and in truth. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to his message, it's all up. We upload everything onto our YouTube channel. It's categorized in, in ser- uh, series. So whatever, like if you, there's something else you want to you wanna, uh, revisit, like our series on miracles or looking at the message from uh, Passion Page when they talked about anger and things like that, like it's all there for you. Um, Um, to watch for yourself, to share with somebody else. But to summarize Ben's message uh, in a short sentence, the better or more accurately we know God through his word, the more genuine, the more authentic, and the better our worship will be. And that isn't to say better than the church down the road. That church just has amazing worship. It's not to say better than the person to the left or to your right, better than your spouse, better than whoever, but better worship for you. See, worship, it's more than the slow songs we sing on a Sunday. I love it when people categorize worship songs like praise means fast and then worship means slow. But it's praise and worship encompasses everything. In fact, worship is, it's a life thing. You know, worship is a response to the love of God. In fact, worship is all about God. He is the beginning, he's the reason, he's the inspiration, and he is the destination. Worship has been happening long before humans existed and will continue on after we're gone. We're participating in a heavenly, heavenly response to God. And to be with God in his presence and aware of him, that is our goal each and every time we worship. Worship is a beautiful exchange, a beautiful display of God's mercy and grace. And in the weeks to come, we're going to hear about the power and the significance of worshipping corporately, that is worshipping as a group. And we're also going to hear about worship as a way of life. So let's start off with a scripture. Ben shared this last week, but it is a great scripture about worship. It is Romans 12, 1 to 2. I'm reading in the ESV. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world or the age, or do not be conformed to the times, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love that this scripture instructs us how to worship God with our entire lives. I love that we are not limited in the ways in which we can worship and show our love and convey God's glory and reflect that back to Him. But that is not what I will be focusing on today. We'll focus on that in a couple weeks' time. If we can worship God with our entire lives, how do we worship Him from the pits? And pits, like pits, deep in the pits. If you're writing notes, I want you to write pits. Circle it. Draw a line. Write southern accent, southern Texas accent, because I really want you to understand when you look back at your notes, how deep this pit is. It's not just a pit, it's a pit, pit. Or valleys or hard times, dark times. I'm going with the phrase pit today. How are we to worship God with our whole lives when it feels like it's falling apart? When we feel like we're falling apart? How do we present a holy and acceptable offering of praise and worship when we feel unworthy, broken, discouraged, worn out, when we're angry, full of resentment, when we have a broken heart, broken spirit? So whatever stage of life you're in, my prayer is that you'd leave this place knowing the hope we have in Jesus and the power of worshiping him right where you are. And so today I'm going to share, you know, uh, what, what that means for me um, and get a bit vulnerable. That's the only way I know how. And so my message today is called, It Just Got Personal. And I want you to add the click in your notes, Okay. So an amazing example we find in the Bible of a genuine and authentic worshipper is King David. And I, I love reading about King David. And, and like the story of his life, in my opinion, when I read his story, I'm like, this is better than Lord of the Rings. Like I reckon J.R.R. Tolkien was like, yes, I'm going to base my story on some of these themes. And like, and just talking about Lord of the Rings. If I were a character in Lord of the Rings, who do you think I would be? Frodo, yeah, I got the hairy feet. No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> no, 100%. I would be a dwarf. I would be like Gimli's best mate, and we would go on the amazing adventures. Or I would be a goblin. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do act like a goblin at times. Just ask my husband. <laughs> Anyway, so back to King David. Let me summarize his story for you. And there's going to be some scripture references. I cannot, there are chapters and chapters of his life and I can't get through all of it today. So I'm just going to summarize it for you. But feel free to note these down, take a snapshot. But some of his highlights, he was a shepherd boy turned triumphant warrior by accident, really. Like he was the youngest of his brothers. So, and he was uh, left to tend the sheep while his brothers went off to fight a war. And his dad goes, hey, son, David, can you send some, can you go deliver some sandwiches to your brothers on the battlefield? David goes and he enters the battlefield. He sees Goliath, this giant, this terrorizing giant being like, I'm going to kill y'all. And then so David's like, I want that guy's sword. So he picks up a stone and a slingshot and then kills this guy, ends up ending the battle. 
He was a successful warrior and king. He was loved by his people. He establishes a lineage it's through the line of David that we come to Jesus. He's a, uh, Jesus is a descendant of David. He was a prolific songwriter who wrote many of the Psalms. And if you don't know what Psalms means, Psalms means songs. And it's one of the largest books in the Bible. How wild is that? One of the biggest books in the Bible is all about songs and poems. And they're the basis of a lot of the songs that we sing at church today. He is also described as a man after God's own heart. Imagine that. Imagine God saying, you get me. That is who David was. And what I love about David is it's the classic underdog story. And I feel like in Australia, we are obsessed with underdogs. Like look at Guy Sebastian, okay? When he first entered Australian Idol, he had a fro. He was not a good looking guy, but my word, did he have the voice of the heavens. And then he won. And we were like, yes. 100%. And now, who's the underdog? Shannon Knoll. Love me, Knollsy. I'm thinking of you, Knollsy. Anyway, but if my life, you know, David, sorry, David's life teaches us how good character, faithfulness, humility, and trusting God leads us from strength to strength. And if I had a life like that, boy, I would have no issue worshiping God. Of course, God, look where you're leading me from strength to strength. It is so easy to worship God from a place of blessing when you're promoted, when your prayers are being answered, when you receive blessings and, and miracles and breakthrough. It's easy to trust God. It's easy to worship Him on a Sunday when we're surrounded by everybody else's excitement and joy and enthusiasm. This is the kind of life we all dream for, right? It's what we all want. Of course we'd worship God if our life was like that. But it's not the life we get a lot of the time. And despite David's tremendous success and prosperity, my favorite lessons that we can learn from the life of David is how he responds during dark times. Not after when it's over, but during. Like when he fears for his life. When he's lost loved ones, he loses a child, he loses his best friend, he loses a lot of people. When he's betrayed, people want to hunt him down because they're threatened by him. They want to hunt him down because they want his job as king, they want his kingdom. When he makes bad decision after bad decision, and we'll talk more about that later. How can a man who has experienced great failures be described as a man, written in the Bible, He's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. How can a person in David's situation be an acceptable living sacrifice? Like if David were alive today, Channel 9 News would go to town on the scandals of his life. They would love it. 60 minutes, there would be an expose. Twitter, they would be telling, they would cancel him. They'd tell him, hey, you got to step down as king. You're not good enough to be king. Look at what you've done. He's unworthy. Surely he's no longer acceptable to God. He's no longer to be this man, this person. If we were in his position, and perhaps to a degree you can relate, how do you think you would respond? And how should we respond? 
you know, that this is how I viewed myself. So before Ben and I became pastors, we were full-time musicians. Makes sense. You get some musos to be your worship pastors. We know a little thing or two about music notes. And for about 10 years, we were doing our dream job. You know, we had our band and we traveled around Australia. We were experiencing success. It was everything we wanted. We played rock music, which for a lot of you, you're like, makes so much sense, Anna. (laughs) That explains so much. And I loved it. It was an amazing way to express my deep anger, my frustration, sing about all the things that I hated, all the things that were traumatic. It was cathartic. I loved it. And then out of nowhere, I just sunk deep and deeper into this pit of depression and anxiety. I lost all all the joy in life. I was inconsolable and it didn't make sense. I couldn't make sense of it. I was living my dream. This was my dream job. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to travel around. I wanted to, you know, my goal was to be able to live off the money that we made. That was our dream, right? And it wasn't that it was because I wasn't following Jesus. I wasn't a Christian. I was a Christian. I was attending church, this church, And it wasn't that I was disconnected from community. I was surrounded by amazing people. I am surrounded by amazing people. I was part of community. I was married to one of the coolest guys on the planet. I love God with all my heart. So it didn't make any sense how I wound up in this pit of sadness and anxiety. And the worst part was the inner conflict and shame I experienced. How could a person who knew has been walking with Jesus since she was nine years old, come to a place of such total despair. A person who knows what the Bible says, knows how God thinks of her, knows that Jesus Christ died so that I could live. How could I be here? I grew up reciting Jeremiah 29, 11, for I knew the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That was my youth ministry's Bible verse. And so that is embedded in my DNA. Pretty sure it will pass on to my children, just knowing that verse. They'll wake up in the morning, for I know the plans. So why in the sweet heavens was I in this pit? It didn't make any sense. And how do I get out? I started thinking, you know, maybe this was the future God had planned for me. Maybe this was all my life was going to amount to. I began to think that I was unworthy of having anything better than where I was at. This pit was going to be my home. That I was not and will never be the person God was calling me to be. That I will never amount to the encouragements and the, and the prophecies of what people spoke over my life. I'd never be that person. And I loathed myself for the sadness that I felt. I was so angry for feeling what I was feeling, for thinking what I was thinking. And I was angry at God for allowing my life to play out this way. I've been faithful. I go to church. I'm in community. I read your word. Why am I here? You know, I thought writing all these songs would help me move on. But instead, I was just replaying the pain over and over again. And finally, I needed answers. 
So I sought help. I, I started talking to a psychologist. I started going to prayer counseling. And I don't know what led me here, but I opened up my Bible to the book of Psalms. And I just, it was probably the Holy Spirit just prompting me. And I, I started reading one psalm a day. I was like, that is all I can handle, just one psalm a day. And there are two things. As I started reading the psalms, there are two things that I learned. And the first one is David and the other writers of the psalms, they are pretty emotional. And they wrote it down. They recorded it. And the second is, but... They knew how to worship God and fix their attention to God despite how they felt and despite their external circumstance. And so today I'm going to open up my journal and share with you how I went from thinking, I am so messed up, I am so unworthy to worship God, to I am messed up, but I will worship God. See, the Psalms had such a profound impact on me on, during that time of my life. And so I hope today this would be an in, insight for you for whatever you're walking through to draw closer and worship God honestly and wholeheartedly. Let me quickly pray before we continue. Lord God, I just pray this morning that we would just be so open to your words, so open to what you have to say for us. Lord, I pray that it's your words, not my words. I pray, God, that we will just experience your peace and your joy, your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start at Psalm 31. This is a Psalm of David, starting at verse 9. It says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. And verse 14, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. In this psalm, David speaks so honestly with God. God, I am in distress. God, my life sucks. Every waking moment hurts. God, I've lost my child. God, my best friend is dead. God, people want me dead. I am scared for my life. I have lost the joy in life. But, David says, I trust in you. Save me in your steadfast love. David shows us how we can respond to God in worship when we're in a pit. David shows us how even when we are cast down, we don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend everything's okay. We don't have to wait or fake our way through it. Fake it till you make it, till everything gets better. But we fix our eyes on God. Let's turn to Psalm 51. And before we read it, let me give you some context. So if you want to read, you know, what was happening in David's life in parallel to when he wrote this next Psalm, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. So after David becomes king, he becomes careless. 
and he has an affair with a woman named Bathsheba and she's also married. This is quite scandalous. And she falls pregnant, even worse, oh my days. So David is like, well, the, the best thing David can come up with is to send uh, her husband Uriah off onto the front lines of battle where he will most assuredly be killed. And he does. He dies in battle. Now, here is the thing about Uriah. He wasn't just some low-ranking, you know, soldier in the army. He was one of David's mighty men. David's mighty men were a group that were close to David. There was only a few, select few. They were the elite soldiers, members of the army. And they would go with David on his conquest, fight side by side with him. So when David sends Uriah to his death, he is sending off a friend. He is sending off an ally. He is sending off somebody that he knows very well. And he willingly sends him off because he's just trying to find a solution to his issues. You know, David's affair with Bathsheba just leads from bad to worse. It spirals out of control. And at this point in his life, every decision that he makes just leads to more lies, more pain, and not just him getting hurt, but the people around him. Until finally he gets confronted by the prophet Nathan. What are you doing, mate? And David's like, what am I doing? And he fixes his attention to God. He finally recalls that he is completely and utterly dependent on God. And he records his colossal failure for us to learn from. It's written here in the scriptures. And what's the funny thing about the Psalms? It's a book of songs, right? So when they would go to temple and they would sing it, like David wrote this song for everyone to sing. Could you imagine everybody singing your like failings? Okay, that is embarrassing. Who, and he willingly does it because he's like, I messed up. I got to be honest. And so here's what he says. Psalm 51 verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Number 15. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. So the Baker Bible commentary, it says, but beyond cleansing and recreation, the psalmist knows that more is necessary to erase the memory of iniquity and save from guilt. Here he feels helpless as every penitent must. He is convinced that no animal sacrifice can atone, which was the custom. Only God's unfailing love and great compassion can avail. All the sinner can offer is a broken, contrite heart, but that 
God will not despise. So there is nothing David can do to fix his situation. Anytime he tries to get involved and fix it for himself, it just goes worse and worse. His status won't help him. His strength, his good looks. You know, the Bible says that he was incredibly, he was an incredibly gifted musician and had a great voice. You know, that wouldn't help him. Him singing to God, God help me. Like that's how he sang, right? It it had nothing, it could not help him. There is no sacrifice or good deed David can do to get him out of this pit. He he knows, he admits that it is God's unfailing love. It is God's compassion. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that can restore and renew. All God has to offer is his broken, imperfect, embarrassed, unworthy, surrendered heart. And he says, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I've done. I need your unfailing love. I need your compassion. And so when David wrote these Psalms and when he came to God, he wasn't banking on his own strength. He wasn't banking that the, the loudness of this, his voice would make God respond. The musicality of his songs would incline God to, to listen and bring him peace. He was banking on the faithfulness of God. He knew that all he had to do was hand it over to God and God will do the rest. David had to allow God into his life. I've got another psalm for you. Psalm 116, 1 to 2. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. And when I read this psalm, when I was in that dark space, in that pit, it was like finally, like a fresh, a cool summer breeze finally drifted through. The scripture, when it says he inclines, other versions say God bends down to listen to our cries. See, worship doesn't summon God's presence like a genie. Worship makes us more aware of God's active presence in our lives. Worship reminds us of our complete and utter dependence on God. See, I had filled my life writing songs, pouring out my hurt and frustration and headbanging my way across Australia. I thought that projecting my anger and my sadness on stages and smooshing it down people's faces, I thought that was helping me move on. I thought that was going to help me heal and bring me out of the pit that I was in. I never once thought to offer them to God. I never thought I could. I thought it was inappropriate to approach the creator of the universe with my dark thoughts, with my deep sadness. I thought that is not what that is not an option. Surely God's got better things to do. I was not aware that he was eagerly waiting for me. He's bending down like, come on, girl, tell me. I'm waiting. I don't know why God is American. I don't know. He was waiting for me to pour out all the pieces of my broken life before him. You know, writing songs wasn't the issue. That doesn't mean I stop. But it was my audience. These, so these psalms, they inspired me to begin writing my own, just between me and God. 
And they showed me how I could be honest before him, really honest. I no longer had to shy away, be ashamed or embarrassed of these thoughts because as I learned from the Psalms, God was waiting for me to cry out to him. So now we're going to get a little dear diary. I'm going to share with you something I wrote back a few years ago. I'm not going to sing it. I'll just say it. But here we go. This is what I wrote. I've been finding it hard to keep a straight face, playing pretend that it's all rosy. I've been finding it hard to tell you honest, playing pretend that I'm not drowning. And then my chorus, which is like the main part of the song you always repeat, I wrote, I want to feel you closing in. I want to know I'm not alone in this. I want to feel you closing in. For the first time, you know, I began writing an honest song to God. I still remember that day. I was sitting at my, my kitchen table, just crying. <laughs> and all I was asking for in this moment was just to know that God was here beside me. You know, when I said, I want to feel you closing in, I imagine like I just wanted a hug from God in that time. And then I wrote a bridge and it says, I'll keep holding on to you. You're the only truth I have. I'll keep holding on to you. You're the only proof I have. Even when I couldn't understand the place that I was in, I made that decision to fix my eyes on God. Really, it was a gamble. Like this should have been my first response. It was my last response. What I find so interesting, and I only realized this last week when Ben was uh, sharing his message, you know, when Ben talks about worshiping the Godhead or the Trinity, he goes on to point out that to worship in spirit and in truth is to worship the Holy Spirit and Jesus. You know, in John 14, 6, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And hearing Ben say that last week, it just gave so much more weight to that song I had written years ago. I'll keep holding on to you. You're the only truth I have. Jesus is all I have. Jesus is all we have. You know, in worshiping God during the varied seasons of life, it doesn't mean that, you know, we shut our eyes and we close our ears to our problems and our pain. It means we are embracing that we alone aren't the answer. Jesus is. You know, in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to come to Him just as we are, weary and broken. And whatever you're walking through, whatever deep emotions you may be stuffing down, too afraid to bring before God, whatever hurt or pain is gnawing at you, Jesus is inviting you to come to Him. And acknowledging it is one thing, and it is a powerful, great thing. But the next step is handing it over to God. You know, I wrote those angry and sad songs and I held onto them for years. I refused to lay them to rest in the hands of God. I couldn't trust Him with it. My sadness became my crutch, my excuse, my inspiration and fuel to keep writing more, to keep being angry. 
and it just led me down deeper, darker in the pit that I was in. But when I finally swallowed my pride and handed them over to God, when I began how to worship Him from the pit, that was the beginning of a journey towards healing, towards trusting God, trusting Jesus with my hurt and my pain. And through worship and reading the scriptures, it just, it, it made me aware of His presence in my life. It never left me when I was down there. And it hasn't left me or you today. Worship is such a gift. But we still haven't answered the question, how is it that we can be an acceptable living sacrifice to God when we are so broken and flawed? In 1 Peter 2.5, it's written, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus gave His life, surrendered it on the cross for you and I, so that we may approach God honestly and plainly. There's no need to hide, no need to pretend, no need to fake our, our appearance before God. Take the filters off. You know, it's not by our own skill, our talent, our religious habits. It's not the good karma that makes our lives worthy, but it's Jesus. Jesus has made our worship holy and acceptable. Church, can I encourage you today to rediscover honest worship towards God. You know, if you were to write your own psalm, like what would it say? Maybe you're at the end of yourself. Maybe you've been trying to stay strong for your family, stay strong to prove to God that you got this. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're sorry. Maybe you're numb. And I'll finish off with one more psalm, Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Come on, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word today. Thank you for your unfailing love that pursues us relentlessly. You see us as we are. You see the burdens we carry. And I pray today that you would be renewed, that we would be renewed in our minds, that we would remember your faithfulness, remember that you are present through every season. Amen. And if you're here today and you've never crossed that line of faith, you've never known what it is to walk with Jesus, or maybe you've walked away because you've been disappointed and hurt, and you just happen to rock up today. If you're here and you want to say, Anna, I want to I know what this is. I want to step into a life with Jesus. Can you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with? I'll just wait a few moments. Come on, church, why don't you pray this with me? Jesus, I give you my life. Amen. Well, now we're going to step into a time of praise and worship again, and we're going to sing. And as we do this, 
I encourage you, whatever, you know, maybe there is something in your, in your heart, in your spirit that God is asking you to lay at His feet. And I encourage you today to, to just be honest with God, to worship plainly and honestly. So come on, why don't we stand as we worship again?